So like I said, uh, my name is Josh Cuellar. I'm on staff here. Uh, it's been four years since I got on staff, which has really flown by. Um, and it's been really great. And in those four years, uh, my wife and I have been married. So we're going to be celebrating our four-year anniversary in a little bit, um, which is awesome. She's here. Her name's Sarah. And in those four years, we also had our first kid ever, which is a game changer. His name's Atlas. He's also here. And um, just having kids just is, is a game changer. Like I said, it just changes things. And it's one of the cool things about it for me is being able to... Uh, to look at my son and, and know that God has given me the task to, to make him like become a man that's strong and courageous and kind and caring and loving, but more importantly, uh, a man that follows after Jesus. Um, that's, that's what we want. So I want to talk a little bit about um, discipleship, which is what I'm doing with my son in a sense, right? We're discipling Atlas to become a follower of Jesus. So at, when the time's right, he gives his life to God and follows him. So... Um, I don't know if you heard that. He agrees. <laughs> so that's what the Christian life is about. To be a Christian is to give your life over to God. Um, that's what salvation is, to give your life over to God by grace and faith. And, and then to live a life growing in Christ-likeness. And as part of that, we talk a lot about we, we want to honor God and we want to get people to Jesus as fast as we can. You'll hear us talk about that a lot. Um, that's not something we came up with, right? That's something that the Bible talks a lot about. That's something that Jesus teaches us, um, and he taught his disciples and then the apostles, and so we're going to look at today, one of those apostles, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, so if you guys have your Bibles or uh, smart devices, we'll do a race real quick, if you got the old school Bible, flip to Romans 12, 1 through 2, got your smart devices, Romans 12, 1 through 2, just kidding about the race, we're not going to do a race, all right, Romans 12, 1 through 2. Romans 12, 1 through 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. All right. So let's dig in. One of the first times I really remember... Uh, like growing in my own faith and wanting to grow in my faith in Jesus on my own uh, was when I was 15 or 16 around there. And my youth pastor, Derek Mitchell, really just instilled in us um, what it means to follow after Jesus on our own. Because up until that point, I could kind of uh, was going to church because my mom was a children's minister at a church, and that's just what we did. Um, but when I became 15 or 16 around in there, that's when I really started to take a hold of my faith and take my discipleship as a Christ follower serious. And one of those verses that was super instrumental in that process that God really used were these verses. And, and my youth pastor was telling me that like, yeah, you got to get into the word of God yourself. You've got to memorize it. You've got to like think deeply about it and you can pray on your own. This isn't just a thing that your parents are about. This is, can be a thing that you're about personally. And God used these verses, Romans 12, one through two. So in our time here, it's, uh, we're going to talk about like what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, because that's really important. So I know a lot of you in here could probably teach me something about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not naive in thinking that like you all have been following after him a lot longer than I have, some of you. 
But some of you, maybe you're in here and you're, this, this thing is new to you. This whole Christianity thing is new and you're just trying to figure out what it is, who Jesus is maybe, uh, what this church thing is about. So I, my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we'll be reminded um, what it means to give our lives fully to God as worship, one. And then two, that, that um, maybe you would know for the first time, maybe you would be reminded of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So Romans 12, 1 through 2. A little background on this. Um, as I mentioned, it was written by the Apostle Paul. And Paul was this guy, one of the greatest Christian thinkers um, maybe ever. And he uh, would go around starting churches. And he wrote this letter to Romans to the churches in Romans in anticipation of going to visit them, if you didn't know that. And so he hadn't been there yet, but he wanted to go. And so he was writing to encourage the church in Rome in two things mainly, among others, but one, to be united, that this church in Rome um, was really consisting of two people groups. One was Jewish culture background believers. They're Christians now, but they come from a Jewish background. The other was um, Gentile or non-Jewish background people. And so he's writing to both of these saying that like, yeah, what used to separate you, what used to divide you is now gone. You are united, one family in Christ. So he's encouraging them into greater unity, but also into greater faith. We take for granted sometimes um, the fact that we're some 2,000 years out uh, in this following Jesus, that a lot of our theology, a lot of our practice as Christians, um, they were figuring that out when Paul wrote this. In fact, a lot of our theology comes from the letters of Paul himself, right? He was pinning this letter to the Roman churches. And that's where we get so much of our theology. And so the letter to Romans, the first 11 chapters is, is a lot of that, a lot of that deep truth about God. And it's, it's good things to believe. And then chapter 12 kind of is a turning point for Paul. It's a turning point into, all right, I want you to believe these things, he would say, but I, as a result of believing these things, you're going to live a certain way, all right? And this is not something that's new to Paul. Paul often combines belief and behavior and uh, doctrine and duty. That's because uh, to be a follower of Jesus is to believe the right things about God, and right belief in God will always translate into right living for God. All right, so that's a little background on the letter to Romans, and we'll see kind of how those two ideas of belief and behavior, doctrine and duty, kind of play into these two verses. So, let's dig in. Verse 1, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's kind of break that down a little bit. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That's Paul. He's, he's encouraging the people he's writing to. He, he wants them to do something, and we're going to see what it is in a minute. But I want you to notice that this is a different tone than Paul uses in some of his letters. We can look at the letter of Galatians, and we'll see the tone he uses there is a little sharper. Like, he's bringing the hammer sometimes to them. He uses uh, words like, he calls them fools, which I don't know if you know, but, like, that's kind of a biblical slam. Like, calling someone a fool in the Bible is, is serious. Um, he wonders who bewitched them. And the story there is that the church in Galatians was believing something false about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and if we get the gospel wrong, we get Christianity wrong. And, and what are we even doing here, Right? And so that's why Paul uses a harsh tone in Galatians. But here, he hasn't visited the church in Rome yet. He, he wants to. He's going to go. He wants to go, but he hasn't yet. So 
the tone's a little different. He's appealing. It's this kind of encouraging, kind of like, I'm going to put my arm around you, and we're going to walk through this together. I want you to imitate me as I imitate Christ, Paul would say. So he appeals to them. He's encouraging them. And if we're honest with ourselves, like you and I, we need both of those from time to time, right? Like, there's times in my life where I need the grace of a swift kick in the pants. Anyone else? Like, is that just me? <laughs> but there's other times where I really need someone to just say, like, put their arm around me and say, like, hey, let's do this together. I know this is tough. This whole walking with Jesus thing isn't always easy, but it's worth it. Let's do this, like, encouragement. And that's Paul here. Remember, uh, he's writing to both Jewish background and Gentile background believers in Christ. And so he uses the phrase brothers. Um, that Greek word brothers can be brothers and sisters. It means siblings. He's reminding them, hey, you all are one in Christ. You are one family, united in Christ, saved by the same grace, and united in the same mission. So he says, appeal to you, therefore, brothers. That therefore is important. We're going to circle back to that. I want to keep moving. Um, so he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. I want us to see that Paul's clear here that the reason we give our lives in worship to God, we give everything we are to God in worship is because the mercies of God. We can't muster up enough willpower um, to give our lives over to him initially in salvation. We understand that that's by grace alone that we're saved. And that's through the finished work that Jesus did on the cross. But oftentimes we as Christians can forget get that the rest of the Christian life as well is lived by grace. When I become a Christian, my goal now is to become more like Jesus, to walk with him the rest of my life, and to help others do the same. That all of it, the whole process is done through and by the mercies of God. So don't get that mixed up. So Paul's saying, in light of those mercies, by those mercies, to do this, and it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. Um, I want us to see that, like, Paul's use of bodies is pretty significant. Because if back in the day, in that ancient time, there's Roman and Greek philosophies and worldviews and religions, they weren't very concerned with the physical bodies, right? But um, Judaism and specifically Christianity changed that. Like, remember, the whole reason we celebrate Christmas is. God the Son coming in flesh, in a body, right? And so he says we present our bodies because we worship a God that's concerned with our whole redemption, our physical selves, our emotional and spiritual selves. What I mean by that is when we follow Jesus, we don't have to lay aside our intellect, right? Instead, our intellect and our thoughts come in line to honor God and to worship him. Same with our feelings and emotions. We as Christians... Uh, Feelings and emotions aren't something to be scared of, but instead they come in line into uh, what honors God and what's going to disciple us in Christ. So that's what he says. He uses bodies here, but we know throughout the rest of the New Testament that we really need to offer our whole selves in worship to God. Another thing I want to point out for us is that he says present, or uh, that idea is offer, like an offering, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Right? And so that language of presenting or offering a sacrifice is steeped in Old Testament sacrificial system language. And uh, remember, he's writing to a Jewish background, Christians, who were once Jewish, now they follow Jesus Christ, but there's still a lot of 
um, cultural things that still go on with the Jewish people then. And they would have remembered distinctly what it would have been like to uh, go to the temple and to either bring their spotless animal or uh, to have one there. They would purchase one. And that animal would be put to death and slaughtered on their behalf for the forgiveness of sins. They, that, all that, that whole system would have been very fresh in their minds as Jewish background believers. And they, the, all the sights and smells and feelings that would have gone along with that would have still been very fresh for them. It's like, uh, it'll be eight years ago this fall. I uh, was in India serving as a missionary while I was in college. And I got to uh, become friends with this Muslim guy. And as part of just becoming friends and wanting to share the true Jesus with him, he invited me to the celebration where they were going to sacrifice a cow. And I don't know if you know a lot about India, but that's uh, definitely not something you want to do in India. So I meet him, my um, other American Christian friend and I go to meet him and he's like at the end of the alleyway and he's like, all right, come on, Josh, Wade, come on. And he's like, if you tell anyone or you don't take any pictures about what's gonna happen because this is, this is like, you can't, it would be very bad for me if you do. And so we walk down an alleyway and there's this fence and the door opens and there's a cow with four dudes standing around him. And what happens next is they just end up slaughtering an animal. And if you've been around, a farm or a ranch or something, you know those feelings and that smell and that sight you would have um, experienced. And it was the same for these Jewish background believers. That sacrificial system was still very fresh in their minds. So when Paul says to present, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, that's where their mind would have gone. A distinction here, though, um, because Paul's not saying that we still participate in that same system as Christ followers. That system is gone. God is doing something new in Jesus Christ, right? Jesus was the final sacrifice for our sins, the writer of Hebrews would tell us. But now, as followers of him, we give our bodies to God as a sacrifice, as an offering of worship. And that means we're going to give our whole selves to be leveraged for the honor of God, what helps us grow in Christ-likeness, and um, what helps others follow Jesus. And another distinction is that ours is a living sacrifice versus a dead sacrifice, right? In the Old Testament, they would have put to death an animal and it would have stayed dead. But ours is a living sacrifice in Christ Jesus. We have eternal life, right? So when we do this, Paul's building this argument and connecting these thoughts for us. When we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to God, that is holy and acceptable to him. And it's our spiritual worship. So when we sacrifice ourselves to serve God, um, it's holy and acceptable to him. It's a, it's a good act of worship. And isn't that the desire to please God? Like if that's your, that should be your desire as a Christian, right? Is to honor God and please him above ourselves, above anyone else. And if it's not, then like we've got something mixed up. That's why we exist, to bring honor and glory to God. So, like, shouldn't that be our goal, right? When we die, like, to be embraced by God, and, and we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? If that's your goal, then it makes sense to uh, offer everything we are to honor God. Paul ends this verse in the ESV uh, by saying, that's your spiritual worship. That word spiritual is, uh, can be also translated reasonable, can be translated logical, right? So he's saying, basically like he's saying, hey, 
you church in Roman, you're reasonable creatures. You were created to have intellect and you can understand logic. So there's a logical flow to this. By the mercies of God, in light of all that God has done for us, it just makes sense to offer all we are to worship for him. It's just reasonable, it's logical, it makes sense. So I think it's important for us to keep at the forefront of any conversation of doing for Christ um, what Christ has done for us. We need to keep that at the center, right? When I talk about the gospel, we need to keep that at the center because it's only by the grace of God that we're able to do this at all. Remember that Paul says, therefore, meaning um, in light of, by the mercies of God, Um, it's cliche, I know, but whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask, what's it there for, right? What is the therefore, therefore? Because the therefore is connecting a previous thought to what he's gonna say next, right? And it's that bridge. You're gonna remember that, because it's cheesy. So, the therefore in this verse is connecting really what he said in chapter 11, and really the previous chapters. He's connecting the gospel that he's laid out, systematic theology, theological stuff, <laughs> systematic theology that he's laid out from chapters one through 11. He's going to now say, in light of all of that, this is how we live. So I wanted to take a moment, because um, we've got a moment and I've got a microphone, to look at just some of the highlights, the highlights of the mercies of God um, found in Romans. We're just gonna limit it to the first 11 chapters of Romans because uh, we don't have that long. But if we were honest with ourselves, we could uh, spend all night, all week, not just talking about what the Bible says about the mercies of God, not just about what the New Testament says about the mercies of God, but we could spend all eternity talking about how God has shown us as individuals mercy, right? And so, in fact, that's what we'll do in heaven. It'll be awesome, but tonight... We don't have that long, so we're gonna go real quick just through some highlights. And I hope that this is uh, worshipful for you. I hope that this enlarges your faith. And um, really, in light of all of this that we're gonna talk about, that we would give everything we are to be leveraged for the honor of God. So just um, pay attention. I'm not gonna mention the, where the chapter and verse, where it's found. You can come talk to me after if you want. I'm just gonna go through some real quick bullet points. So God has shown his power in the gospel so that people of Jewish descent and Gentile background can believe in Christ and have salvation. It's the mercy of God. God has shown us mercy even though we as human beings worship created things rather than the creator, God. God has shown us grace even though no one is righteous, meaning no one is rightly deserving of that grace. We all All of us in here, myself included, all of us out there have fallen short of God's holy standard, yet he still chooses to love us. We have been made right with God by grace through faith, that's belief in Jesus Christ, and now we have access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It's a mercy. This one alone, man, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. We've been given new life in Christ. We've been set free from the slavery of sin We've been given a gift of eternal life in Christ. We aren't condemned. We are more than conquerors. And we will never be separated from the love of God if you're in Christ Jesus. So, 
all of that. That's just a snapshot of the mercies of God that Paul wrote about in his letter to the Romans. In light of all of this and so much more that God has done for us, it just makes sense that we would give our bodies, our minds, all that we are to worship God. So uh, verse two is gonna give us a little practical look at what that looks like. Because remember, Paul often combines belief and um, behavior or duty and, and doctrine. So a little bit of the how this plays out in our lives. He says in verse two, do not be conformed in this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So what Paul is laying out for us here is two diametrically opposed ways of living. Either we're gonna be conformed to this world or we're gonna be transformed by the renewal of our mind. There's no middle ground here. And uh, like I said, I work with a lot of college students and it's pretty popular today to kind of just go to the, um, I call it the belief buffet sometimes. It's like we just go to the belief buffet and I'll take some of this faith. Like I like Jesus, he seemed like a good guy, but I also like Buddha, some of what he said, some of what this guy said, and I'll just be a good person and I'll take this smorgasbord of religion, right? That's not what the New Testament teaches. That's not what Jesus Christ teaches. Paul's laying out for us here two diametrically opposed ways of living that cannot coexist together. To live for one is gonna be at the expense of the other. It's either our culture's way of doing things or Christ's. And Paul uses this word, uh, world, that's translated world in the ESV. Uh, it can mean age. Some, some of y'all have uh, age in your translation. The idea behind this is really anything in our culture that's opposed to Jesus Christ. Uh, culture is also a word that kind of gets thrown around sometimes in church, and it's easy for us if we don't define it, then we can just take the word culture and slap it on anything we don't like. It's like, oh, it's a culture, it's a culture, whatever. So I want to define it real quick. Um, culture, and this isn't necessarily just um, biblical definition, but culture is a set of values, ideas, or beliefs and uh, mores, ethics, that are held by a group of people, right? So that's a culture. The thing is with culture is that it's often going without saying. Uh, if you were here when Joe did a good job of talking about uh, honor culture and shame cultures versus guilt-based culture, like that's culture, right? And so we can understand culture that way. But since the things that make up our culture often go without saying, they work in conjunction with our sin nature and our natural bent is gonna be towards conforming to this world. That's our natural bent. And uh, that means we're unaware often how the world is affecting us or forming us in its image. Or to put it another way, we're always being discipled by something. We're always being discipled by something, Paul would say. And he would also say, as he made clear, it's either gonna be towards the world or towards Christ. It's gonna be towards Christ-likeness and growing to be more like him, growing to be more holy, or it's gonna be not. It's gonna be opposed to that. There's no middle ground. So all things we participate in are, are discipling us. I don't know if you guys have ever thought of this before, but we're being consistently and constantly formed by the things around us. Um, it's things like the things we watch, those visuals we consume, 
the movies, the TV, the, the streaming, the cable news, uh, the social media, whatever it might be, those visuals we're consuming are discipling us. Those uh, things we hear, the radio we listen to, the music, conversations we have with other people, they're discipling us as well. Uh, the things we participate in, the work, the school, our families, even our church should be discipling us, right? Like that's why we exist, to help believers grow in Christ-likeness and to help non-believers come to know Jesus. So all of those things are uh, discipling us. They're all forming us. And as Paul would say, they're all forming us either into Christ-likeness or away from it. So I don't want to stand up here and say that, like, you can't do this, you can't watch this kind of movie, you should only listen to this kind of music, because I was really, like, kind of a product of that teaching when I, when I was a teenager, and uh, it was like, you can only listen to music that's labeled Christian, right? And uh, if you like this band, we have a Christian equivalent, and I don't think that was always helpful for me in my walk with Jesus, because what it did in me, and maybe this is just me, uh, I'll admit, but what it did in me is created a fear of those things that I didn't need to be afraid of, and it created a complex in me where I divided everything into sacred and secular. And I'm not talking about, let me pause here, because I'm not talking about things that God clearly lays out in his word that are sinful. Because there are things in his word that we know for sure that are sinful. We need to run from those all the time. But I guess what I'm talking about is more what we might consider gray areas or convictions. It's kind of like, this is a silly example, but it's like, I can drink Coca-Cola because it's holy. Yeah. Anyone else love Coca? But Pepsi's evil and a secular. It's like, what? That's not in the Bible. That doesn't make sense. This is just some kind of arbitrary rule that I set up in my own life. Um, maybe that's helpful for you. Maybe you need to stay away from Pepsi. I don't know. But these are things not clearly laid out in Scripture. Because there are things clearly laid out in Scripture. And we need to avoid those sins like the plague. So I'm not saying that... Uh, I'm not going to like stand up here and say, don't go to see this movie, don't listen, whatever. But I think instead of that, we could all really um, benefit from taking a moment to sit back and analyze how are we letting things around us form us. Because if Paul says that they're either forming us into this anti-Jesus culture that's around us or into Jesus himself, then like we need to be thinking critically about this. Um. I'm talking to myself too, guys. Like, preparing this message was convicting for me. So, we need to avoid those things that are not making us more like Jesus. We're not going to be Jesus ever, but our goal as Christians, as Christ followers, is to become more like Jesus. So, as college pastor, I get asked sometimes if this certain thing is a sin or not. So and so, is, is that a sin, Josh? And I think that's totally the wrong question to ask sometimes. And again, not the things clearly laid out in scripture. Because I feel like what they're really asking me is, uh, can I get away with this, Josh, and still have a clear conscience? Um, those are bad questions that I ask. Instead, and the things not clearly laid out in scripture is sin, we should be asking, is this helpful? Is this healthy for me? Is this honoring to God? Is this helping me love other people? Is this helping me get other people to Jesus as fast as I can? Ask those questions instead, because it becomes clear then that some things aren't going to be helpful and healthy, and others are. They're going to help me grow in Christ-likeness. Run away from those things that don't help you. Run away from those things that are um, 
just discipling you in the way of the world and run towards discipleship in Jesus Christ. So he says uh, to be formed or discipled by Jesus, we need to avoid conforming, but we also need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So in a few minutes we have left, I wanna kinda talk about what that means. Uh, Being transformed by the renewing of our mind takes drastic change, right? It's it's not just uh, something we can do on our own, like I mentioned before, it takes the grace of God in our lives. So uh, how do we get a new mind? Um, It's not through Amazon Prime, I already checked, you can't get two-day shipping on a new mind. Instead, it takes the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you're in here and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't consider yourself a believer in Jesus, like you need to get that right first. Like a lot of what I'm talking about tonight won't make sense. Like how can you follow Jesus if you don't have a relationship with him to begin with? It just doesn't make sense. You've got to give your life to God. You can, by the grace of God, do that even now. But for those of us in here who have, who consider ourselves believers, um, we have the Holy Spirit. This has already happened. Uh, Paul writes in the letter to Corinthians, in the second Corinthians 5.17, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. And so that's, that's an already happened thing, but it's also in the process type of thing, right? This idea of sanctification is, is in the process. We aren't fully there yet. None of us in this room are. Um, this, the, me talking on stage isn't fully there yet. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, yeah, I knew that. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a process, right? We're in the process of becoming more like Jesus or, or using the word sanctification. We're in the process of sanctification. And uh, Christ promises that that will be complete someday. And that's a good promise. So we can't obey the commands of God. We can't give our lives over to God without the grace of God. And if we try, we're missing the point. So I don't want you to hear, like I said, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to get that right first. But if you are, we have the grace. God has shown us mercy, and we're able now to give our lives completely over to God. And that's worshipful. That's a spiritual worship, and it makes sense. Um, So it happens by the Spirit of God coming into your life when you give your life initially over to God. But it also happens as... Christians, we get into God's word and we mine its depths for truth and for um, more and more truth. So I think good questions to ask ourselves is uh, how intentionally and how often um, do I consume the word of God as an individual? How, uh, what do I need to do to study God's word more on my own? Is the music that I listen to helping me be more like Jesus? And again, this isn't, to say, don't listen to that type of music. It's more critical, and it takes more searching than that. And this is why I love uh, Brian and Mike. It's one of the reasons. Uh, There's a lot of reasons I love them. But one of them is that they think critically, and they think deeply, and they pray a lot about the songs we sing on Wednesdays and Sundays. It's not something they just pull out of a bag. Um, But they understand this, that something happens when melody and lyric come together and God uses that to go deep down in our hearts and to really kind of like solidify those truths in us. And so the music we listen to does matter. Uh, Ask yourself, am I memorizing, meditating on scripture? How often am I doing these things? Those are all good questions we need to be asking ourselves. Because if being formed into the world's pattern happens naturally, 
because of the definition of culture and because of our sin nature, it happens naturally, and oftentimes we're unaware of how it's affecting us. We need to be super intentional about being discipled in Jesus Christ. Because being formed by the world happens constantly and consistently. As soon as we leave these doors, we're going to go home. Some of us will watch TV. Some of us will get on our phones. We'll have conversations. Are those conversations forming us in the world, or are they forming us in Christ? We need to be intentional about being formed in Jesus Christ. That takes much more than just an hour on Sundays, an hour on Wednesdays. Um, We need to be intentional, intentional. And we pursue Jesus, again, by the mercies of God. We pursue Jesus because he's pursued us. And we're able to uh, desire the things of God because the mercies of God in our life. So he ends this verse to you by saying that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Simply put, how can we know what the will of God is if we never spend time with him? And I want to point out that this testing is a little bit more than just like taking an exam. It's a little bit more like if uh, there was a pool that was really cold and I asked someone, hey, how cold is that pool? And they told me, I was like, okay, cool. I tested how cold that pool was in a sense. They told me it was very cold. I was like, okay, it's very cold. There's a difference between asking someone in testing and there's a difference between diving head first into that pool and experiencing that. Um, the kind of testing that Paul's talking about here is that experiential knowledge that, that we experience the will of God. And when we experience it, we understand that it's good. It's good for us. It's not always easy. We don't always get what we want. Um, in fact, it oftentimes gets a lot harder when you follow Jesus, but it's always good for us. Um, it's acceptable to him and it's perfect. And we can rest in that. As we give our lives to God, We follow after Jesus in discipleship. We are to be formed by him, right? We understand more and more what God's will is and that that will is good, pleasing, and acceptable. And then we can do it more. It's just kind of like the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's that kind of idea. Like you get some of it, you want more of it. You get some of it, you want more of it. You want more of him. All right. Sum up Romans 12, 1 through 2. To be a Christian is to give our lives fully over to God as an act of worship. And as he forms us or disciples us into Christ-likeness, and as we help others do the same. Um, So if that's the goal of a Christian, then we need to be critical of the things we do, the things we say and think. Not afraid, but critical. Are they forming you into Christ-likeness or away from it? There's just two options there. There's no middle ground. Run away from the things that form us into the world's image and run to the things that form us into Christ's. And this is all of it done in light of, through, and by the mercies of God. Uh, We can't do it on our own. We can't muster up enough willpower or strength to follow after Jesus for our whole lives on our own. So we can trust and rest in his grace that he's shown us in all those things. Cool. So that's what I've got for tonight. Thank you all so much. Um, Yeah, I'd love uh, to talk with you after if you'd like. And you all are dismissed.